story of Chuck. We won't call it the summer of Chuck because it's a little more detailed than that. We're going to pick up where we left off last week and that was with him getting ready to graduate drug court after being in this program for, I don't know, 18 months, I believe. And that's where he left us off. If you haven't checked out episode 64, I believe, to get part one of Chuck's life. You may want to do that before checking this out. Either way, I'm happy you're here. You can start at part two. I'm easy. And I'm reaching out on Facebook, and one of the old guys, one of the old dealers, you know, opens up, you know, and says, hey, you know, we're still playing over here. You want to come through? And I said, uh, you know, you know, kind of shrugged it off, but and I said, you know, what the heck? Why not? I go in. I play, I win, you know, which is probably the worst thing that could have happened. So this was a Thursday night. Where did, where were you prior to playing poker? Just to put again, context around how crazy our thinking gets. The first time? Well, the first time that I know about you left one place and went to the poker club. That was, that was, that was the second time. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, the first yeah, the first time wasn't important, but the second time I went to a meeting at the center, a GA meeting at the center, left there and then went right to the poker club. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's crazy. You know, Yolanda actually called me while I was at the poker club to check in. I went outside, talked to her, saw my I'm fine, you know, everything's going good, blah blah blah, enjoying life. Bullshit, you know. And one of the guys at the poker club knew one of the guys that had just come into recovery then. And so they, you know, they sent him a picture of me being at the poker club. And so he was new to recovery, didn't know how to handle this. So he talks to Bill and then Bill, you know, and Oscar call me in and I'm coming on a Saturday. They're like, we got to talk, you know, or you're gambling again. And, those are two people I don't want to lie to. Right. I can lie to my mother. I can lie to my family. I can lie to, I don't want to lie to Bill and Oscar. You know, one, cause they can see right through you. <laughs> There's that. There's that. And just two, I, you know, I consider Bill like my recovery grandfather and Oscar like my recovery father. And I didn't want to lie to him, you know, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm gambling, you know, and it's just, you know, and when you get back in addiction, you don't pick up from the beginning again. You pick up where you left off. Period. So, and at this point, I had developed some trust with my mother. I'm still living with my mother. And so my mother says, you know, I'm putting my credit card out on the table. You know, I need you to use it to pick up something in the morning. Okay, fine. You know, no big deal. You know, fine. Wake up in the middle of the night and something's calling me saying, you got to go to the casino. You got to go gamble. Wow. 
Now, I have her credit card, but I don't know her PIN or anything like that, you know. And the problem, you know, it was a Chase card, and Chase is very strict on her things. So I try to use it. I try to pick out what I think her PIN number is, and I try twice, and it flags it, you know. And it flags it, and it sends an email to my mom. And what does my mom do first thing in the morning? She checks her email. She checks her bank's account. And she gets in it. And when they flag it, they send an email, like, and it's a big red thing saying, your card was used. And she's like, what is going on here? Blah, 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 you know. And, and she's flabbergasted because she's like, we just went through this whole thing, 18 months, blah, blah, blah. And you're right back to doing what it is. Now, I didn't get any money out of it, so it's almost like, no harm, no foul. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not good. There's a foul, but, you know, it's not really something, you know, I, di I didn't get anything. I didn't get any money out of it. But I've broken that trust again. Right. You know, I've broken that trust again. I'm gambling. So finally, she's hiding her credit cards in different places in the apartment. But I'm out there gambling. I need more money. Because I'm working at Home Depot. I'm making eleven fifty an hour. It's not enough money to cover gambling, let alone anything else. And so then... I find her, I'm like, okay, you know, something, you know. So I grab her Boscos card. Now you'd say, what are you going to do with a Boscos card? Right. Well, us being addicts, we mean, we're geniuses at what we can do with it. <laughs> and it's around Christmas time. So I start buying gift cards. And then I can take the gift cards and I find a pawn shop that's willing to take the gift cards and give you 50 cents on the dollar for them. So I take her Boscov's card, I buy a bunch of gift cards, and I take it to the pawn shop. They'll give me 50% on the dollar. You know, once they verify that they're legit cards and that they work. And so I do it once, it works. So why not do it again? And again, and again, and again, and again. And finally, my mom doesn't even use, doesn't even shop at Boscov's. She just had the card. You know, a month goes by, she gets a bill for like $1,200 from Boscov's. And she's like, I don't even go to Boscov's. What is going on here? Mm. And she just comes to me and she's like, you're done. She's like, I'm done. You're done. And she leaves the house, goes right down to the police department, has to file another police report. And then the police call me, and they're like, we need you to come down here. That is so hard for her to do. Again. 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 After she had done it the first time. So, yes, very hard for her to do. I come down, and I'll tell you exactly how hard it is. Because, so this is Colony Police Department. Well, guess what? I grew up in the town of Colony. I went to North Colony. They know me in the community, so they know my mother. So I had to come down, and these are kids I went to high school with. They're like, Chuck, what are you doing here? What is going on? Blah, 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 blah. So they're, they're like, listen, you know, we're going to process you. You're not, you know, we're not putting bail. You know, we have to show up to court. We're going to give you an appearance ticket. As they're processing me and fingerprinting me and stuff like that, my mother is calling down to the police station to make sure that I'm okay. Aww. So the guy's like, he's trying to take my mugshot. He's trying to do my fingerprinting. And, I, and he gets a call. He's like, uh, there's a woman on the phone that needs to speak to you. And he's like, all right, all right. He's like, hold on, stay here. He comes back. He's like, your mother just called. Let's <laughs> make sure you're okay. And I told him, I was like, yes, he's processing him. He's going to be home shortly. So not only do I have a charge now for this, but my drug court charge comes back into play because I was on the ACLD from that. I got to go to court for the drug court charge, and I have to go to court 
for the new charge. And the drug court judge is really not happy because I had made this big speech, you're going through the whole program. And the worst thing for those programs is when people go back out and commit a crime again, because that goes to show that's how society looks at it and saying, you see, these don't work. Right. You give this guy a chance and he goes back out. And what the judge said, his biggest issue was that you committed the same offense again. You're using, some, you're using somebody else's card without permission, which is the same offense that you came in for. If it had been, you know, not that he would like smile or something like that. If it was something totally out of the relevant that wasn't associated with the other thing, he might have been a little bit different. When this is the exact same similar thing, it's like this guy doesn't learn. So this time, once again, now he's saying no deals. You know, he's like, you're getting a felony. That they combine the two cases. You know, I, I've got a felony on my record now for using, you know, an instrument without permission, using a financial instrument without permission. But I get five years probation. I'm on, you know, I'm on probation. You know, all this stuff's going on. And we're at May of 2018 now. Okay, when I get the five years probation. But guess what? I still want to gamble. Yeah, you do. And this is at one of, you know, and I'm arguing at meetings. I'm getting into fights with people at meetings. You know, I'm not focusing. I was, I was a wreck, an absolute wreck, you know. And I remember talking to you specifically, and you pulled me aside and you're like, Chuck, do you want to stop gambling? And I said, no. You know, I said, not really. And I remember talking to my counselor. I was telling Brenda, I was like, as long as I'm not stealing, I'm not bad. <laughs> You know, I'm blowing all my own money. Lo and behold, I switched jobs from Home Depot where I was in a job where I wasn't handling money. I was working in the paint department, handling no money. I decided I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go work at McDonald's as a manager for a dollar more an hour. But now I'm handling money. And the first couple of months go by. I'm fine. I get sick. I get in the hospital. I come out, but now I have to only work part-time. So, so take us through this, because I want to spend some time on your recovery stuff, too, before we run out of time. So get, okay. us, get us to there. So bottom line is that I end up taking money from McDonald's as well. Sound like a familiar pattern? Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the owner of McDonald's sits me down, and this is September, and says, hey, I know you've been taking this money. I'm giving you three days to come up with the money. Now, I don't have the money that I've taken. Right. And so I reach out to, I know, you know, somebody you've had on this thing. I called Brett, who has been very close to me, you know, and we were close friends. And the back of my head, I'm hoping that I can convince Brett to give me the $1,000. <laughs> that ain't happening. That's not happening. But, you know, I mean, I'm an addict thinking it, so this is what I'm thinking. So Brett says, well, how about, you know, we try to call the owner. The owner doesn't want to talk to anybody else. You know, he'll talk to me, but he doesn't want to talk to anybody else for me. And Brett's like, you know, it's like, you got to tell Bill. Because I'm on probation. And so, you know, we talked to Bill. We talked to Oscar. We got to bring my mother in. Because I told my mother that I got fired. But I'm like, he just fired me for no reason. And she's like, but he kept you on. Da, da, da. It's not making any sense. 
so I bring my mother over to and sit down with Carla and Bill and I tell her the truth. And she's like, I can't help you. She's like, I don't have a thousand dollars to give you. And I, if I, if I did, I wouldn't give it to you right now. And so, you know, Bill works it out. He calls my probation officer and they say, okay, if this guy doesn't press charges against you, but you have to go to rehab. You know, you have to you have to go to rehab, and that is something that I had you know sworn I would never go to. Oh yes, you did very vocally. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm not going. But here are my choices. You know what I mean? And so I go to St. Lawrence, was by right by the Canadian border. You can literally almost see Canada from there. And my parents drive for three and a half hours to drop me out there, and my and the place is like desolate. You know, I mean, it almost, it looks like an institution when you're getting there. There's nothing fancy on the outside, nothing. And my mother's crying as we're going in there. We're sitting in the lobby waiting to be intake. And my father says to me, you're my first son. I love you, but we're not doing this again. If you can't get your life straight, you're on your own. And my mother hugs me. She loves me. And, but, you know, and they're like, we got to go. We got to three and a half hour drive back to Albany. And that was a tough place to be, you know. So from what I know, that particular place, as well as I believe we have five other maybe in New York, they're really drug and alcohol centered, right? Like it's not, like when I went to treatment, there was a whole wing for gambling and it was when, when you and I kind of compared notes, it seemed that it was very by the book in my world, um, like we couldn't even watch TV or sports or, you know, like there was right. a lot of rules. And I didn't get that impression from where you were. They, they were by the book for drugs and alcohol, but not for gambling. Okay. Can you notice I keep just tying it back to how society as a whole, even whether it's treatment or um, people. They, or don't, they, they don't. They don't know. It, gambling is a third rail, and it's still considered not a real issue. Right. We're going to change that. We're going to change everybody knowing that. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted, Chuck. So you're at St. Lawrence. Yeah. So I'm at St. Lawrence, and, you know, I've never been to um, – I've never been to jail, and I've never been to rehab before. So this is a whole new experience. And when you first get there, you know, they kind of – Pretty close to strip search you. Not quite as fully as in jail, but they get you down to your boxers and stuff and making sure that you're not bringing anything, you know, illegal in there. Or even cigarettes are considered illegal, so you can't bring them And the, so the funny part is that normally they take your clothes from you, all your clothes from you, and so they run into like a hot box to make sure that you're not bringing in anything that could bring like bed bugs or anything like that. Because some people are coming straight from the street. Some people are coming from, everyone's coming from different environments. But I'm a very big guy. So they don't have a gown to fit me. <laughs> so, they're like, so they're like, all right, you can pick out two pieces of clothing, a pants, you know, sweatpants and a, you know, and a, and a shirt, you know, and a t-shirt, you know, so that you can go around in that because we don't have a gown to fit you. But it's, you know, part of it, you know, it's like, you know, you're like in a college dorm room again. You know, and they stick you with a guy, they stick you with another person, and but everything is very 
you have some freedom, but things are pretty regimented. There's a time you got to be up to eat, time that you, you know, you eat lunch at the same time, blah, blah, blah. Your day is scheduled out at the same time all the time. Did you learn anything now, while you were in there? I, that I didn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> you didn't want to be there before you went. Yeah, but I knew I didn't want to be there, period. And the interesting part was also was that it is voluntary. So if you're not court mandated, you don't have to stay there. Okay. So, I mean, I give it a couple of days. And the problem is that they didn't get to me right away with giving me a program. Because they're not used to having a gambler in there. Right. So it took them a little while to come up with the program for me. And most of my program was doing it on my own. They gave me books and things and workbooks and charts and stuff like that for me to work on on my own. Gotcha. I mean, I had a counselor and I met with her, you know, basically every other night. I didn't, you know, there was never anything that was centered around gambling. Everything was gambling is just another addiction. It's just like all the other ones. Right. And there is some truth to that. But there is a difference as well. There is. And the other part that, that they didn't take into consideration was that in our free time, guys played cards. You know, we watched sports. Now, I wasn't a sports player. But they're what the World Series is on. And you know, people are making dollar bets on the games. Yeah. You know, now I mean, like so, to be honest, I mean, the sports betting doesn't bother me. That doesn't, it doesn't affect me. But I'm like, God, you know, they won't let people have cigarettes here, you know, but they'll let them. You know, this is fine. You know, regardless if you have a compulsive gambler in the house. Yeah. And I didn't want to do anything to piss off everybody else. Because I said, if I said, this really bothers me, and they take all that away from people, then, you're then, the they're, guy. then they're not going to be happy with me. You have to educate more, and you have to have a real program for them. Yes. For you can't just say, we'll take gamblers, and then lump them in, in general, with I mean, You have to have some more specific things. But one of the things that I learned while I was there is I listened to other people and they were like, you know, when I get out, I'm going to have, you know, develop, go to meetings and stuff like that. I had the whole recovery support system at home waiting for me. I had the center. I had GA. I had counselors. I had, I had all the things around me. I had family support. I had all this stuff, but I wasn't using any of my recovery tools. My mom at home was talking with Carla and they're like, you know, what are you going to do with him when he gets out? And my mom was like, we can't have him come back and live with me again. That's not going to work. So I ended up doing, so it's a 30 day program there. I did 18 days. I only wanted to do 14 days. A counselor said, well, why don't you stay? We'll do 18 days. So I come back home and, you know, and I'm expected everyone to roll out the red carpet for me and be so proud of me. And they're like, you're home already? <laughs> you know, you're home or, you know, not a, you know, you know, and they're not, you know, my mom and my mom, you know, literally on the car ride home, well, I went to a meeting. It was a Thursday and I went to a meeting. It was the first thing, the Thursday night meeting. And my mom told me in the car, ah, uh, you have a month to you have to move out. Oh, I remember how you handled that. Oh, very well. Very, very, very well. 
I'm like, what the F? What are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. Where am I supposed to go? I don't have any money. I don't have a job. Blah, 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 blah. You know, everything in the book, you know. Luckily, we have the center. We have the report, you know, team. You know, Sherry went with me down to DSS. She means she sat with me the whole day, fill out the paperwork, get that going so you can start getting food stamps and everything. You know, in the meantime, Brenda and Carla were working together to try to find a house for me. Because the halfway houses are not going to take somebody who doesn't have a substance abuse plan. Another crazy perspective of this. It makes me nuts. Right. So through their searching and looking, they came across the house that I'm in now, which is a recovery house, but they call it three quarters housing. It's not as restrictive as a halfway house, but there still is a, it's a recovery household. So there's no drugs or alcohol allowed or gambling even though in the cabinet there's chips and, and there's chips, there's chips and, uh, and cards, the cards, a chip and card set there, you know, but I never touch them. I don't use them, but I thought that was funny that I come in and like, then we'd have like the courtesy to like get rid of it. It was, you know, it's normal. Gambling is right. normal, Chuck. But it's also one of those things, too, and you know this, in recovery, for a lot of people who are recovering from drugs or alcohol, gambling's the third rail. So if they put down the drugs and alcohol, they'll pick up the gambling. Yeah. You know. So, but I find this house, you know, it's 500 bucks a month, but that includes everything. Nice. So my rent's paid for, my heat's paid for, we have cable, we've got Wi-Fi. My mom put down the deposit, you know, and stuff. They went out, you know, they take my stuff, pack up my stuff, come down here. We went shopping, got my grocery shopping, everything done. They still helped me with it. As my dad said, if you, you know, I remain gamble free now. So this is around, I moved in here December 1st of 2018. So I had about a month, and you know, I had about, you know, just over two months of gamble free time. But, and they agreed, they agreed, you know, that they would continue to help me. My mom said that, you know, I'll pay your rent for three months. Well. Three months turned into, uh, you know, uh, 12 months, <laughs> but so actually 13 months. But anyways, so that's a whole other story. But my mother, I, my, no matter what I've done, my mother has stood by me through all this. And through all this, she's also gotten treatment for herself from the center and everything like that. Can we my talk about that for a second? Sure. You mentioned Carla, and again, our audience, you, you've been name dropping, and I know who you mean when you're talking about it, but the people right. in Switzerland don't. So Carla is the counselor. She happens to be my counselor, but she's the counselor that kind of leads the charge with what the significant, center, other. significant others, which includes family members. That's something that makes the center special, for starters. You know, it's kind of like gammonon therapy, essentially. Do you think that your mom having that program has helped your relationship and helped you guys through this process? Huge. Huge. Because it gave her insight, and it also showed her that she wasn't alone. Right. Because she basically, all this response, you know, in the meantime of all this is going on, my parents separated. I mean, they're still legally married. They live in two separate places, you know, and she felt like all this responsibility fell on her. I mean, my kid brother's trying to make his way in the world. You know, he's finishing college, starting his first real job. So he can't, he financially can't really help. My sister financially has been very successful, but she is tired of helping everybody. 
She had to help my parents literally to bail them out twice because they, you know, back payments for the mortgage and stuff like that and all this other stuff. And so she's like, and my sister's very economical. She's not going to keep throwing good money after bad. Right. And she helped me some before. But she's like, no more, you know. I'm the same. I'm the same way with my brother. Like, and it's right. a, it's a battle. It's it, for us. Sure. It's, it's a battle. You know, our insides get torn up about that stuff. And they love me more than life itself. But both my sister and my brother are not going to mess up their lives to help me. Right now, chat. Like, where where are we today? And and how does it? What does your life look like today versus the first eighteen months or? So today, so today, right now, I'm living on my own. I mean, I'm still in the same sober support house. I've been here, you know, um, going, you know, past 15 months now, going on 16 months. But I have, you know, I had a job until this week of the coronavirus. But I had a job. I was paying my own rent. With my mother's support, I would get, you know, the money comes direct deposited to me. I give my mom money, you know, the money, you know, right away. She knows when I get paid. And soon we meet up. We go and get the money. I give it to her. She holds the rent money. So what that does is I say that no matter what I do, even if I go out and screw myself up, my rent is paid. Right. So you don't lose your housing. You know what I mean? And like I said, the good thing about this place is that you pay the rent. It pays for everything. The transparency of her helping be engaged in your money helps your thinking or your recovery, like if you wanted to gamble, you'd be like, oh, mom has the money. Does it have any impact like that? It helps keep you accountable. Okay. It helps keep you accountable. But what my mother said, and I think she was encouraged to do this, was you can help him, but you can't do it for him. Because my mother's going to be 70 this, this, this October. My father's 68. You know, he recently battled cancer. If they go, you, you have to, you know, at 42 years old, you're not a kid anymore. You, you know, you're 41, going to be 42. You're not a kid anymore. You have to, you know, we will assist you with this, but we're not going to do it for you. So at this point now, Bobby, though, I think, you know, I got a job. I've held a job a couple of months. I'm paying my own rent. I'm paying, you know, my own bus pass to cover my transportation. I'm paying my own way. You know what I mean? And for the first time in the last, I'd say, let's give it, you know, <laughs> 10 years, you know, I'm covering my own, I'm covering my own way. Nice. Now, life on life's terms comes in, coronavirus comes in, you get, you know, I'm going to get unemployment. But I've also saved enough money, Bobby, so that April rent, everything is paid for. And so is, I have enough savings to cover for May to June. Nice. Congratulations. That's a big deal. Yeah. Because when I was gambling, I couldn't save a penny. Wow. So that's the difference. You know, I've got 18 months. And what I'm doing now, Bobby, differently is, like I said, is, you know, is that this is, I'm setting up my life for myself. That I, you know, and one of the things that I embrace that with this time that I have, which it's really rare that you're going to have time, you know, Unlike when I had the summer of Chuck and I had a big check for 30 grand and all stuff and collecting unemployment, I see that I'm going to be collecting unemployment. I have my, you know, my needs are met. I'm going to use this time to better myself. 
dive deeper into my recovery. Like I said, you know, I, in the last, since we started these meetings over the phone and on Zoom, you know, I went to, I did one meeting on, sa- on Saturday with the center, two meetings on Sunday. No, wait, we did, no, we did one, one meeting on Saturday, one meeting on Sunday, two meetings yesterday, probably do two meetings today. You know, and I remember people in long-term recovery saying how many meetings they went to. Austin always talks about, and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, these guys are just doing it because they're retired and old. They got nothing better to do than go to meetings and drink coffee and listen. But that's how you're going to do it. That's how you're going to get through it. And you know, you wanted to talk about my bipolar thing. So my bipolar medication lapsed at the beginning of the year, and so I kind of, you know, I. Hemmed and hard about it and stuff like that, and so I didn't get it, you know, re-prescribed right away. I said I'm doing okay, I'll be all right, you know, I can wait, you know. Well, then this situation comes up, completely out of my control. Schedule turned upside down, job upside down, all society's upside down right now, <laughs> and my, you know, bipolar is starting to really mess with me. And I'm trying to get my medication back, get my script refilled. And guess what? My doctor is out of the country. And the new doctors, you know, say, you know, we don't want to prescribe it. We're not sure, blah, blah, blah. You know, we haven't, you know, you haven't had your physical. So I set up my appointment to get my physical to come in April 1st. I'm like, okay, I can hang on till April 1st. Well, guess what? I get a call from them today. Yeah, your doctor is not going to be back because she's out of the country. Guess what? She's in India. So. She can't get back. And even when she gets back, you're probably going to have to do a mandatory 14-day quarantine. Right. So they're like, can we push back your – they leave me a message. I missed the call. Can we push back your thing? I'm like, I need my meds. Yeah. And if you know anything about the healthcare system, especially when it comes to mental health, you can't just call a mental health line and then give you a prescription for your meds. They won't do it. Yeah, and what's so annoying is like I'm like you guys have my file, you have my history. Like I'm not asking for you know I, before I talked about a prescription change, I don't want to change. Just you know, just give it to me straight. And what's keeping my sanity are these meetings. Talking point. about it, talking about it, listening to it, talking yourself at you know, of things are keeping me from crawling the walls. So I'm watching. I'm talking on Facebook. People are going nuts already, and yeah. we're two days. In- we're two days in this quarantine and people are like, when is it over? And I'm listening to the news cycles and they're saying, you know, they're like, you know, Trump's saying it may be done by tomorrow. It may be done next week. We're really evaluating 14 days. And some of the other people, you know, the, the Albany chief of police said, hey, we're going to, this could be June, July type situation. So no one knows how long this is going to go for. Right. You know, so bottom line is that, you know, the meetings and everything like that, talking, all this is helping me keep it together when everything else around you is falling apart. Because no matter what happens, I don't want to go back to gambling. Because then all bets are off. And in this house, if you use, you have two choices. Either you go to a 30-day rehab or you have to get out. Wow. And their policy is that because of the safety of the house. They're not going to let one person deciding to take their will back, put everybody else in jeopardy. 
It's fair to me. Sounds fair. It is fair. So you, I really like the call out about meetings and making good use of your time during this because I think that's probably something that a lot of people are struggling with. I personally hope that either, well, that the addicts are doing things like you're talking about, the reaching out and the, the meetings. Thank you, technology, right, for all the options. That oh, my God, yeah. And thank, <laughs> you, thank you, technology, and showing so many older people, especially in GA, like they're just discovering the thread like WhatsApp, and they're like, this is fabulous. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, we've been doing this for like two and a half years at the center. You know, really? You know, and you have some of them that are so stubborn and so old school that they're like still, like one is still showing up to the church and like, I'll be there to open the doors, you know, because the whole idea was to never have the doors closed. Um, and they can't conceive this notion of the doors being closed. Chuck, it sounds like you've learned a lot of different things from your experiences, both sets of 18 months, for example, um, being aware of, of what happened and how treatment was up in St. Lawrence, the center versus GA. It sounds like you have a lot of tools. I am curious, other than meetings, um, what other things do you do for self-care? Uh, well, one of the things that was suggested to me is that I get a routine. And I hate having a routine. <laughs> Chuck, wants, Chuck wants to do Chuck when, when Chuck wants to do it. But I learned that I function better when I have a routine. And if I look at the totality of my life, I made it through high school, through college, and through the first several years post-college, pretty straight through with no real major issues because I had a routine and a playbook and I knew what to do. I knew what came next. Mm. After I graduated undergraduate, that playbook got taken away. There was no playbook of what to do with life. It's kind of just go out and do it. And then as I, you know, changed careers, like I said, I went from teaching to restaurant business and all this other stuff, you know, I, you know, I, I changed. The other part is that my I didn't have a mental illness when I was younger. It may have been there underlining, but it, I, we never knew about anything. It never even came up. And after I graduated college, which is normally the age for people who have bipolar 2, for men, it's about that age. It's, it's about 22, 23 years old when it starts to show up. Hmm. For women, it shows up a little bit earlier, usually in their late teens. So when that kicked in, I didn't know what was going on with me. And so you add that in, you add that in the gambling, you add that in with the restaurant business, the volatility and all that stuff is a perfect recipe for disaster. It sounds that way. I have one other question for you. Sure. Um, if you were speaking to the the moms or the family members of, of an active addict, what advice would you give them on how to deal with us? I would say one, take a breath <laughs> <laughs> and prepare yourself that this is going to be a long road. Is there anything they can do to help? Yes. Educate yourself. Okay. 
the more you educate yourself, the better you can not only help them, but help yourself. And why I was away at St. Lawrence, that's what my mother was doing. She was really educating that because she had kind of coddled me and, you know, let me live with her and all this other stuff. And she was like, she didn't want this to happen again. So what has to happen to move out? You know what I mean? And she didn't want to put me out on the street, but she's like, I don't know what to do with it. I mean, the guy got a 40 year old son who, you know what I mean? And he's an addict, you know, what do I do? Where do I put this guy? You know what I mean? I don't want him to go to jail. I don't want to be on the street, but I can't have him live with me. So, you know, find resources, educate yourself. You're going to have to have patience with this recovery trip. It's not going to go smoothly. And there's going to be setbacks. Yeah. And, and the, more you, the more you're informed, the more you prepare yourself to do that. Also, you have to put boundaries. You have to put up boundaries and say, okay, my help only goes so far. When my father said, when they dropped me off, we're not going through this again. We're not doing this again. You know, I know what he's saying to me. You know what I mean? Right. I know what he's saying to me. And I don't want to know. I mean, my mom supported me financially. She paid my rent this whole time, you know, why, since I've been here, until I could get a job and support myself. She's not doing that again. Right. You know, because people were telling her not to do it this time. <laughs> but, oh, they were. You know, Chuck can't pay his rent. That's Chuck's problem, and he's got to figure it out. But she wouldn't leave me alone as long as she saw me progress. And I made a lot of progress, Bobby. You know, I, I stayed gamble-free. I lost 70 pounds this past year. I, you know, have stayed, you know, myself in a course. I've gotten myself, you know, well. I found myself a new job, you know, a permanent job. So I've done quite a bit. I had to do the work. I had to do the steps. I learned to take the bus. <laughs> when before they were like, Mom, I got to use your car because I can't get there on the bus. Well, now I don't have her car. And I've had to find a way to get to bus, you know, get to meetings, get to places, share rides. By hook or by crook, you would gamble. By hook or by crook, you got to get to work, you do all your things. And I learned the bus system. I learned, you know, I've done all these things. So I've learned how to be self-sufficient again, which is stuff that I knew how to do before. But when your addiction comes in, it retards your development. It yeah. takes somebody who is a well-capable being, college-educated, master's degree person, and turns them into almost like a big baby. Yeah. Who can't take care of themselves. The disease doesn't discriminate. You know, doesn't matter how smart you are. No. No matter what it is, and that's one of the things that you know. And I remember my aunt would constantly talk to me. She's like, "You're a smart person. It's can't you know? What I mean, it doesn't matter how smart you are." We're amongst a lot of smart people. Tons. Yeah. Brett's a PhD, you know, Bill's well-educated. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know. And it turns you into somebody that you can't recognize. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there anything that I might have missed that you want to share? <sighs> well, let me tell you, you know, I mean, one time when I don't know. <laughs> I think we covered a lot of ground. I think we covered a lot of things to get us, you know, to get us here. And I would just say to the addicts out there, gambling addicts and all addicts, keep coming back. Sooner or later, hopefully it'll take. But also, 
you have to put in the work. I love that. That's great advice. Because, you know, one of the things that, you know, and I reached out to you, you said you were placing that order to get materials. And I had wanted the, one of the blue books. And, you know, and I didn't have the money, unfortunately, you know, at the time, because I wasn't working. And you said, don't worry about it. You know, I'll get the book. You know, pay me when you, you know, when you, when you get things. And I use that daily meditation as a day at a time. And I read that every morning before I go to work. Before I got dressed, I would take a second, read that, say the serenity prayer and say, God, you know, protect me as I go on my day. And as long as you keep doing the next right thing, things will fall into place. That party that I wanted them to throw for me when I, grad when I left, when I left um, rehab didn't happen. But six months later, my sister was able to say, you sound better, you look better, you feel, you know. My brother was able to say, you sound better than this. My mother was able to say, even my aunt, who was the most critical person in the world, saw me after a while and said, wow, you've lost weight. You look good. You know, it sounds, you know. So they're not going to tell you when you want them to tell you. That's why we have the recovery group. That's why we do the celebration, because we know that one day is something to celebrate about, mm -hmm. you know. So that's why we do, you know, the recognition Mondays, celebration Mondays, you know what I mean? That once a month or once every other month, we know the small milestones around the way because you're not going to get that from your family. Right. You're not going to get that from your friends. Yeah. It's a good point. And we're all in this together and it's fun. I think the celebrating is, keeps us on our path, you know? We oh, have my mother always says, what are you guys celebrating about again this time? <laughs> You know, and she's saying it tongue in cheek, knowing it, but she's, but she also doesn't get it because we know that we celebrate because one person's victory, one person's accomplishment is everybody's accomplishment. Because none of us get this on our own. We know we have to work together to do this. Right. You know, and when you first started doing these podcasts, I wasn't at a place where I was confident in myself enough to talk about it. You know, so I didn't volunteer. I didn't volunteer, you know, and I, and I, and you see, you know, you asked, you know, did you volunteer? I, I said, I'll listen, but I ain't doing this. <laughs> this woman's crazy. <laughs> you probably still think that. Um, you are, but we all are one form of crazy or not. And Bobby, you know, you've been by my side this whole time and been a real, like a big sister to me. And you, you, you asked me a question and gave me an honest response when nobody else would. Everybody else would tell me, Chuck, you have to stop gambling. You asked me, do I want to stop gambling? And the truth is I wasn't ready to stop gambling. You know, and it wasn't like, you know, at, at the time I was like, oh, Bobby's giving me permission to gamble. <laughs> and, but I realized now that's not what you were doing. The truth is about this addiction, you can't start getting real recovery and real help until you're tired enough and ready to stop. Yes. Yeah, and nobody can decide that for us either. Right. So that's why it's such a, a like tight walk with the, with the family members and the parents and the significant others is, you know, back to the simple premise of, like, what are you doing? You're a smart person. You know, why are you doing this? So. Right. And until you're in it with your body being taken over by the monster, you know, they're not going to understand. 
And the other thing I just want to elaborate for everybody listening, Chuck was referring to Milestone Monday, which is something that we do and those mean counselors of ours make us be happy <laughs> about our victories. So it, it's a great practice that we do. Um, and I, I think it adds a lot of value. I mean, I golfed with a couple guys from group on Saturday and the go-to is to be like, Oh shit, I suck. I missed that shot. But I can hear the counselors in my head going, no, it's okay. You're out here enjoying a good day. Who cares what the score is? You know, like all the positive right. stuff. I love that we have that in our community. Mm-hmm. So, I really no. appreciate you being here. I had, I had done an episode on transparency and, you know, there's different schools of thought about how we reveal ourselves or when in our recovery or if we're gonna. So I'm, I just want to say that I'm very proud of you. Um, you. you know, both being aware of when you were and weren't ready and then, you know, volunteering for this. So I'm, I'm just thrilled that you allowed me to chat with you today and that you shared your story. Well, definitely Bobby. And like, like I said, it's with you, it's like talking with a friend. And I know that, you know, you said, you know, you have to do editing and all this other stuff. And, but I trusted you. You know I mean? I, I'm like, she's not going to make me look like an idiot. <laughs> you know, you know, so, you know, we're speaking. No, but I'm, you know, if you know anything about being in the media or doing, you know, podcasts and stuff like that, editing can make somebody seem however you want it to be. But I'm I said, that fancy or no, no. Right. So, I mean, I just said, I'm going to have a conversation with Bobby. I'm going to tell my story, have a conversation with Bobby, and hope that I can help somebody, you know? Because I think that you can really help somebody. And I think that what you're doing is good because you're taking that next step. Because people listen to podcasts all the time. Meetings are great, but us coming together and gathering in one place and something like that is not as realistic as it's going to happen. And especially when people are first in recovery, they kind of want to do things on their own time. Mm-hmm. And this is something by doing this, they can listen to it at their own time. They can do it at their own leisure and the car and privacy and stuff. So I think you're, I think you're on the cutting edge of really doing this. And I'm very proud of you, what you accomplished. Thank you. I always, especially when I'm doing episodes by myself, I picture the person who can't, get to a meeting that's like driving down deserted I-10 across Texas that there's nothing but farmland. That's who I feel like I'm speaking to. Um, well, think about, think about this, Bobby. How many times have we said in meetings, can, can, can we do it where somebody can call in, where we know we have somebody who's farther away and, you know, they call in and they'd always say, you know, we don't really want to get to that. We want people to show up in person. And I get that. You know what I mean? I, I get it. But, you know, the idea is to get recovery. And now you have an opportunity where the whole world can't, we can't meet. We right. can't gather. And guess what? It works. And people are getting their recovery. People are feeling, you know, good. And, it, and this is under the most extreme situations. So I think that you're, I mean, this is where I think that this, I think people are also learning that people who are a lot of, who weren't, who were kind of against, you know, um, embracing technology are kind of seeing that there are some benefits to it and you can still get the message through and, and, and do it. So. Agreed. Agreed. I think that, I think I spoke about it Saturday 
that I think that the coronavirus is actually going to take us to like the next level that there's going to be so much positive and cool stuff on the other side. And just mm -hmm. as you gave, um, you know, the free time to learn ourselves, the effort and teaching the old dogs new tricks. Like there's just so many cool things that can happen on the other side. If we could all maintain our sanity in the, in the meanwhile. Right. Definitely. Well, thanks again for being here. And okay. um, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, that was my friend Chuck. And believe it or not, I didn't pay him extra to say all those nice things about me. I, I find myself writing down things when I go to, you know, go over the edits and, and go over the show about points that the guests make. And Chuck really did a good job, I think, of showing why why we need podcasts and voices and every effort possible to educate the public. The The thing that I think bothers me, one of the things that bothers me the most is I've been to a couple of recovery conferences or recovery events and, and some, I think they know that gambling is going to be there, you know, gambler recovery people. And they'll be gambling at these events. And he was talking about being an inpatient. And basically, they don't think about, they didn't think about that when they had the sports on TV or at the three-quarters house he's living in. They don't, they're not thinking about those poker chips. Those poker chips could send someone reeling. You know, it's kind of like if you had, I don't know, a shot of vodka in front of a recovering alcoholic. It's it's just that's the way it works. And it's unfortunate. And I hope that, you know, we continue our work and and like we discussed, coronavirus having its its positives. Maybe technology is part of what helps us get the message out there. So all right, we gotta do a quote. This quote comes to us from Good Housekeeping. Huh, who knew? Difficult roads often lead to beautiful destinations. I think we need to think that about the virus. I think we need to think that about our journeys. And I guess just because I think it, it must have to be true. <laughs> anyway, have a great day, night, morning, whenever you're listening to this. I will catch you next time. And you're well understood.